Welcome to the Brew Files from Experimental Brewing, our quick hit series where we focus on fundamental aspects of brewing, including styles, techniques, and recipes. More brew, more flavor, more stories, less time, and less ukulele. Let's hear no ukulele from Mr. Denny. Oh, you're so mean to me. I know. This episode is actually episode 35 of the Brew Files podcast. Now, why is that special? Because between the main show and the Brew Files, it has been 100, 100 stinking episodes of this tiny little show. Now, Denny... See, and that's why I always say I'm tired, man. <laughs> well, did you ever think we'd make it this far? You know, I I didn't even really think about it. I just kind of figured we're just going to do it until we can't do it anymore. Until both of us are in the grave, the show will keep going. Eh, who knows? That's right. Well, now, auspicious occasions call for auspicious reflections, so we're going to take a look at what we and some of our Igors have learned over these episodes in this very special show. But first, here's a message from some of the people who make these shows possible. Do you own a copy of John Palmer's How to Brew? If so, you know it's one of those truly indispensable resources for brewers. Well, it's time to replace that old dog-eared copy, because our friends at Brewers Publications have just published the fourth edition of How to Brew, and it's a totally new book. The new How to Brew clocks in at 600 pages, and every chapter has been updated and expanded, and there are five totally new chapters to boot. So grab your copy at your preferred beer book vendor, or buy it from the Brewers Association store if you want to get the book and support craft breweries at the same time. More info at BrewersPublications.com. Family-owned Atlantic Brew Supply is the biggest homebrew shop in the Southeast. No gimmicks, no multinational corporate overlords, and no BS. Unique ingredients from local suppliers, including malt from neighboring Artisan Malt House Epiphany Craft Malts and award-winning recipe kits, including the Toll, Raleigh Brewing Company's GABF-winning Imperial Oatmeal Stout, Plus, we've got pro-level equipment and the best-in-cask supply equipment from sister companies ABS Commercial and Cask Supply. Malts, extracts, and more, all available by the ounce, an on-site calculator to help you craft your best brew, same-day order processing, and guaranteed two-day shipping for East Coast customers. Get 15% off your first order when you use the coupon code BREWFILES at checkout at Atlantic Brew Supply. Welcome back, and thank you for listening to those messages from those fine, wonderful people who helped bring you this show. Remember, if you talk to them, let them know exactly where you found them and why you're coming to talk to them. So now on this episode, like we said, this is episode 100 of the podcast, 100 total shows in the bag, in the can, however you want to put it, take your metaphors. And so we decided we'd take a chance and look back to see if we'd actually learned anything over these past 100 episodes. We're both old, but learning can still happen. We're not quite that old in terms of dog years. Uh, one of us is. Old is a matter of state of being. Well, that's very true. But what we figured we'd do is we'd actually break this down into a couple of segments of things that we feel that we've learned and 
I guess there's no better place to start than, uh, well, things we've learned in general. Yeah, we've we've learned a lot about ourselves and our audience and, uh, you know, exactly how to do this show and what people want to hear. But one of the things that I've learned through ranting about people's tastes in beer is that everybody has their own tastes and you need to respect theirs and hope that they respect yours. And I know that, you know, sometimes I've kind of like made it sound like I'm passing personal judgment on people who like beers that I don't like. And I, I've come to realize that that's really not what I want to do. And so... From now on, it's like, you know, if, if I don't like a beer, I'll tell you I don't like the beer. I'll tell you what I do like. If you like yours and I like mine, then we're all good because that's what beer is about, right? Indeed. But I just have a question. That's what you call personal judgment? That usually comes off sounding more like a moral fire and brimstone judgment. Well, you know what, man? It's It's beer. And I've come to the conclusion that it's not something you should be arguing about. One of the other things that we've also learned is that while beer is good, brewing can sometimes go horribly, horribly pear-shaped. And oh, yeah, yes. so I think one of our, my favorite episodes that we ever did was the brewing disasters piece that we did. I think we need to revisit that because everybody has a brewing disaster. Denny, I know you've had a brewing disaster, right? Uh, you know, I've had, what is my brewing disaster? Let me see. I guess, I guess the closest I've ever come to a real disaster is when I almost set my pants on fire when I was brewing. Uh, it's not like some of the other ones we've heard about, like, uh, the guy who melted the linoleum in his kitchen or, uh, my friend Chris who, uh, tried to make a Stein beer in his living room with white carpet around. Those were real brewing disasters. Uh, well, and there's, of course, one of my favorites, which is me taking a garage door to the back of the head. Thankfully, <laughs> thankfully, yeah, that, right. that beer turned out great. Unfortunately, I'm never going to be able to brew it again if I don't offer up a blood sacrifice. Uh, yeah, well, don't do not do that, man. I, I totally think we need to do another brewing disaster story because that was so much fun. So this is your call to arms, boys and girls. If you have a brewing disaster that hasn't been shared on the show before, send us an email at podcast at experimentalbrew.com or somehow get in touch with us because I think we need to go revisit our unlucky days again. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And I guess we've uh, both learned a lot about what it actually takes to put out a podcast, huh? Yeah. And for me in particular, I think things I've learned, boy, am I a slow editor. <laughs> <laughs> well, man, you know, you haven't been doing it nearly as long as I have. Uh, for the record, folks, you know, this show, which is usually runs somewhere between 35 to 45 minutes. This takes me like 12 hours to put together. Denny, on the other hand, on the main show, that takes you about the same amount of time, right? Yeah, that's right. Uh, if we're really spot on and don't uh, kind of like diverge from the train of thought a lot and do a lot of retakes, I can probably get one of the uh, hour and a half, hour and 45 minute episodes of experimental brewing done in about four hours. Uh, the latest one we did, episode 65, I was up between 10 and 12 hours on that one. So it takes a lot of time. And, and I know the people who do other podcasts say to us, what, you guys edit your podcasts? Yeah. If you guys heard, if you guys heard the amount of retakes that we have to do sometimes. Yeah. Well, when, whenever I hear that, all I say is, look, we sound stupid enough after the editing. You don't want to hear it before that. Well, and I think other things that I've learned from doing the podcast, you know, is really just how much work it is, which we've talked about, but also just how much I really value the sort of the drive that this brings because I get to talk about beer on a regular basis. My my partner doesn't want to hear me go on and on about beer, but 
Apparently this microphone and you guys don't mind. And then also how to actually have to manage my time in order to get content out on a regular basis. I think that's actually the biggest thing is, you know, it's, it's actually something of a drive and an effort in order to make sure every week we have something out there. And, you know, and a lot of the other stuff that we might want to do kind of gets pushed to the wayside. Uh, I'm not like you having a job I have to go to every day and fit the podcast around that. But still, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of stuff that takes a hit. I don't brew nearly as often because, uh, you know, that 12 hours I'm putting into the podcast could be three brew sessions. Well, and I know Denny and I have talked about this in the past. I, you know, we've written for years, done a number of articles and a number of books. And, you know, we'd get feedback uh, from time to time from people saying, hey, you know, hey, really dig what you're doing or boo. But I don't think it was until we started talking on this podcast and started bringing you our voices into your ears that, well, we really started to really get the feedback. And I can't tell you how much I appreciate it because it means that you guys are listening and you really like to listen to us or something. <laughs> Thank you, Sally. They like us. They really like us. Yeah. I I, I agree with, with Drew. Uh, you know, it, it is really nice to hear from you guys. And, uh, in spite of the fact that we may complain and joke about how much time and effort it takes to do this podcast, it, it really is worthwhile from when we, it really is worthwhile when we hear from you guys that uh, you're enjoying it, uh, that you learn something from it. And even when you write in and take us to task, it may not be as enjoyable, but it's still uh, interesting and a learning experience for us. Yeah, but I, I really like it when people write in to take you to task. It's my favorite time. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Right. I think I've, I've probably had to do more apologies than you have. That might be just because of our behaviors. <laughs> Yeah, right. Now, all right. So those are things that we have learned about, you know, life in general here and some of the podcast stuff. But we've even learned, you know, for the old dogs, old brewing dogs that we are, some new tricks about brewing or some new facts. And I'm actually going to start with something that I think ties back into what we just said about the, you know, sort of the podcast being this sort of, you know, a massive amount of time effort. I actually think that having the podcast has reinvigorated my brewing. I know, Denny, you've talked about the fact that you said, oh, you know, it's taken away time from your brewing. But I think where I was when we started this thing, I was kind of adrift and not brewing as often as I'd like to. And I think just because of the fact that, you know, it's always fun and, you know, I need the relaxation and I also need, you know, the content for the show and I want to be able to actually know what I'm talking about. It's actually, you know, forced me to to look at my brewing behaviors and actually get back into the brewery and do some more stuff. Yeah, and I think, I think to a certain degree, that's true with me too. Uh, I have been going through a phase where, uh, you know, I just was not brewing much because the time was so short and there were so many other things to do. But recently, uh, the podcast has kind of inspired me to make time to brew and I've been out there doing more than I have in quite a while. So thanks to all you guys for that. Yeah. And I, and I think right now this is a good time to play because I don't think there's ever been a broader set of choices, a broader set of ingredients, a broader set of styles, and a broader set of knowledge to actually have to explore. Yeah, that's very, very true. For me, one of the most interesting things I've learned out of all 100 episodes was when we had Glenn Tinseth on to talk about uh, how he developed his IBU formula. To my surprise and shock, I discovered that he never tested it with pellets. So if you're using pellet hops, there's... Only a slight chance that your results are going to be what Glenn's formula uh, estimates. 
Well, and I think it was also telling, I mean, yeah, there's a fudge factor in there, but it was also telling that he was like, look, yeah, the formula is absolutely calibrated for the system that I had at the time that I was doing this with the ingredients that I had. And of course, that makes sense. But what I've noticed since we talked about that in the episode is more and more people are talking about how the IBU is, well, it's inadequate for expressing hop experience, particularly in this day and age where we have all of these beers with all of these sort of big hop characters and these big hop oils, but a low bitterness. There's no good way of expressing hoppiness. Yep, exactly. I think that's an interesting thing that has arisen since we had that conversation. Yeah, I agree, man. And we've got some feedback from some of the Igors about uh, some of the things that they've learned about it. And uh, Tim Shover says, much of conventional homebrew wisdom is not founded in science. Uh, Yeah, I I would agree with that. Or it's founded in misunderstood science. I'm as guilty of that as anyone else. Brewing is a craft. Yeah, it is a craft, uh, you know, and that doesn't mean that science doesn't play in, but sometimes uh, science doesn't work the way that uh, you expect it to. Uh, my favorite philosopher, uh, Tom Maliazzi from Car Talk, the late, great Tom Maliazzi, had a saying that, that that I really love and that I use a lot, which is, reality often astonishes theory. Man, that is so true for home brewing. Uh, you can read all the science out there. When you get into the brewery, sometimes it comes out like that, and sometimes it doesn't, and you have to figure out why. Well, and other things, of course, uh, t- uh, Tim wrote in to say, hey, you know, the IBU is a lie. Correct. Yep. Brutan B is a thing, and boy, is it ever. I'm still using Brutan B in every batch, and uh, in spite of the fact that our experiment showed some kind of varied results, I believe it makes my beer better, so I'm using it. There you go. And we also, Tim wrote in to say he also discovered oats, the value of oats. Oats are a good thing. And the value of grisette, Tim, uh, Tim says, one thermometer is never enough, and the same goes for a pH meter and hydrometer. And lastly, that brute beer sounds absolutely fascinating, and it's on my project beer list. Now, Tim, which brute beer? The Belgian brute beer or the brute IPA? Brute IPA. I'm sure he's talking about brute IPA. That's things that, we, that we've that we learned, uh, you know, sort of about brewing while doing the show. Denny, where are we going next? Next time. Next time. We're going to talk about some of the reactions to the show and the experiments we do. One thing that I have definitely learned is the more data you have, the harder it is to draw a conclusion from it. We uh, we firmly believed when we started doing all this that we wanted to have more than one example, more than one brewer for all the experiments because you guys know everybody brews differently. You can give the same recipe to 10 different brewers and you'll end up with 10 different beers. So we thought that, you know, having a wide cross section to learn how people actually brew and how that variability affects the outcome of experiments would be a great idea. And it is a great idea. And I still believe it's a great idea, but it is damn hard to figure out some of the results when you have so much variability. There are not enough maths in this world to explain all the mysteries, Horatio. Yeah, really. And, you know, and kind of the corollary to that is that differences in brewing techniques and skill, as well as the the variability of your tasters, can play a huge role in how the results come out. Uh, the, The brewing variability makes it really real world. And it also leads me to question other people's experimental results even more than I already do. Science is all about 
repeatability. That was that was kind of the goal in having a bunch of Igors out there. And I'm always suspicious of a single experiment and people drawing conclusions from it. Yeah, the the nice thing about having a single uh, single experiment is that you get a single clean conclusion, right? Yeah, you know, and I mean, that's very tempting, right? That that seems very very pure. But yeah, the problem is I think we need more replication. We need more reinforcement or more questioning. And that goes for any of these experiments, including and especially ours. Yeah, definitely so. Because one thing that I hear a lot from people, it's like, you know, I talk about our experiments and what we've done and people listen to the results and I say, well, try it for yourself and see what you think. All too often, I have people say to me, oh, I don't want to try it for myself. You guys or Brulosophy said this, so I'm just going to believe that. Man, don't do that. Please don't do that. Try it for yourself. If your results don't match ours, don't match Brulosophy's, they're equally valid, right? Well, unless you're doing everything with a turkey baster and a straw hat. Well, yeah, okay. Well, even that works sometimes. <laughs> but no, I, I agree. I think talking to Marshall and the rest of the Brulosophy crew as well, I think all of us agree that it's like, hey, you know, look, this is partially for fun. It's partially to give guidance, but it's not there to set in stone any sort of answers. You know, it's it's just to help people find, you know, what may, might be an appropriate path for them. Right, exactly, which is why we call it citizen science. And of course, the other fun part about that is because of, you know, the way people feel about these uh, data points that we're throwing out there, I, I'm actually really surprised at how many people will vehemently disagree with, you know, the experimental results that we get, you know, or that anybody gets to the point where, again, you know, we talked about how brewing is a bit of a craft and it's not just science. I think that's where the emotional side of it comes into play, where suddenly, you know, we're, we're stepping on people's crafty beliefs. I get all the time, well, such and such a book says this. Uh, I just I just went through this thing uh, talking about my starter method, you know, the shaken, not stirred starter method that I've talked about before. And I was discussing it in a group on Facebook. And this is one of those things that people have a terribly difficult time accepting because they've read that you have to have so many cells and you have to start with this much and you have to put your your flask on the stir plate for this many hours and stuff. And it's like, you know, fine if you want to do that, but there's more to it than that. You don't have to do it that way. And people just have a hard time accepting that. Well, I mean, I think part of it is that People like the surety that comes of a ritual. It's almost an incantation, right? You know, if you, if you say X wave Y over Z and do that for, you know, 10 minutes, it will always work. I think that's almost like the little ritualistic aspect of it. And I mean, I have stupid rituals when I brew. I always like prayer and sense when I brew. No good reason for it. I just do it. Sounds like something I would do. Yeah. I mean, I'm just convinced in my head it, it, it sets me on the right path to a good brew day. So I get it. But you know, I think people, People like to debate about methodologies. People like their particular methodology. Yeah, you know, and and again, it, it just goes back to to what I was saying about people have a hard time accepting that there's another way. And then Nicholas Tier says, "Citizen science is lots of fun, but don't take it too seriously. It's beer, and beer is fun." Right on, Nicholas, buddy. Uh, Tim Shover uh, also wrote in to say uh, that triangle testing can be challenging to administer and implicit bias is real. Absolutely. And when you hear people describe the triangle testing method, you know, it seems like it's a relatively easy, straightforward thing to do. And it is relatively straightforward, but if you're doing it properly, it's still a pain. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. It's uh, it, it takes a lot of effort, a lot of planning to do it right. 
And I think on the implicit bias aspect, we see this all the time with people who say, oh, you know, when I tried the two beers separately and I didn't try them blind, I, I was certain I could, uh, I, I knew the difference, right? I had, the, I had it cold and then I had my wife pour for me samples blind. So I couldn't tell what was what. And I still, and I couldn't do it. So yeah, implicit bias is definitely a real thing. Definitely. So, uh, Igor Nick McLaughlin says, I think something I've learned is how big of a variable the tasters are in experiment results. Perception and preference is so individual that I've been thinking about changing the tasting to multiple rounds of tests with the same group. To which I say, right on, Nick. I think that's a great idea. It, it makes your triangle testing even more difficult, even more of a pain in the butt for you to pull off. But I think that that would be a really, really valuable experiment to do. And again, this goes back to why when we have so many brewers doing so many tastings, it's so hard to draw a conclusion from the results. But, you know, people, that's the way it ought to be. It's easy to do one test and say, this is the way it is, but it may not be that way. Well, my favorites are always the experiments where we get where the results are absolutely head-scratching, which is coming on the next episode of Experimental Brewing. <laughs> yeah, right. Stay tuned for one of those. And then also, finally, just because i got to close on, on a note about the brew files, I am actually really, really chuffed about how much people actually care about cream ale. I love you, people. <laughs> I've got one burbling away in the fridge right now. Ooh, that's great, man. All right, next topic. Danny, what do we got? We got to talk about the listeners, don't we? Yeah, we do. Uh, this is things that we've learned about homebrewers in general and people who listen to our podcast. One of the things I've learned is that you know you – that uh, when you see a thread on uh, some forum that says you're, you know, you're a home brewer when, well, you know, you're a home brewer when you've heard that thread a thousand times. And I'll also add in, I mean, when you see that, you see all the repetitions of threads in there. We see a lot of the same questions uh, pop in from time to time, and it's just kind of amazing. But you know, you're a home brewer when you've seen all the questions. <laughs> now, the the, the, the the real question is. You know, when do you become a homebrewing expert? Is it when you know all the answers or when you know all the answers? I think it's when you know you don't know all the answers. Wow, that was uh, that was really Socrates of you. So, so Socrates. <laughs> Socrates. That was so Socrates. <laughs> and one of the, one of the things that uh, we've learned is that some people love ukulele and bad singing and some people don't. Uh, go figure. Yeah, I, I think I know which camp I fall into, and I think I know which camp you fall into. I'm still terrified that people love that damn song. <laughs> you know what, man? I'm hoping that uh, when we do the Brewcraft kickoff party at uh, HomebrewCon this year, that we can get like a couple thousand people all singing that at the same time. Uh, Wednesday, June 27th at 6 p.m. at Culmination Brewing Company out in Portland, Oregon. Just a short hop, skip, and a jump away from... The Oregon Convention Center, where the convention's happening. Admission to the party is free. There will be lots of collaboration beers, fun prizes, giveaways, and a raffle that you can buy tickets for to support local charities. Ta-da! Yeah, really. If you're going to Homebrew Con, please come to the kickoff party Wednesday night. I think that you're going to have a lot of fun there and get to taste some good beer. Yeah, and don't forget, and check the show notes. We will have the link to the event page so that you can register your intent to show up. But remember, the party itself is free. Uh, you just have to buy raffle tickets. That's right. Please buy raffle tickets to support the charities. Okay, so now I think it's uh, time to get a little bit serious about beer here for a minute, huh? Yeah, and I'm going to say after doing this for 100 episodes, I think we've learned that there are a few things that actually really matter, like really matter to to making really good beer. 
And everything else beyond that is either noise, it's ritual, or it's things that you do because they appeal to you and you feel that they have some value. But these are four core things. And I'll take the first one, which is cleanliness. Cleanliness above anything else. I say this as a guy who is a slob where I'm sitting. I can look up at the shelf above me and it is absolutely cluttered with toys. I have a bookshelf to my left that is jammed full of books and there's, well, there's more dust than there should be. Cleanliness is paramount in this hobby. So it's somewhat ironic that I actually chose this hobby as my, my hobby. <laughs> well, it, it's your place where you can kind of like take a break from your normal slobbiness. Uh, Denny, what's our next uh, point? Yeast health. Yeast health is key. People, what I have learned is that cell count doesn't matter nearly as much as nice, healthy, viable yeast going into your beer. So please treat your yeast nice and it will be nice back to you. And I think one of the things that that has become apparent in a lot of these experiments, both ours and uh, experiments from others, is I honestly think that home brewers can get away and brewers in general can get away with a lot more than they ever used to be able to because these days people do take their yeast health so seriously. And I think that's yeah, part of the reason why fermentation temperature controls seem to be a little less vital than a lot of people used to always say, like, you know, where people would be within degrees, things about, uh, you know, just various techniques, the things that people consider sloppy seem to be, you know, much less important as long as you're making sure that you nail the the hell out of that yeast health idea. But fermentation temperature control is still important, right? Yes. And in fact, fermentation temperature control is the next of the big things. Imagine that. Yeah. I do think that if this is still an important thing, and I actually will refine this just a little bit further, where what I think actually really matters the most, and you've heard me say this before again and again on the show, what I really think matters is those first three days, that initial 72 hours post-pitch. To me, I think if you get your work down below what the fermentation temperature is, pitch, and then you know, let it rise up to fermentation temperature and at least hold it cold for the first three days, I think you'll have much better results than anybody who does the thing that homebrewers were always coached to do in the beginning, which was, hey, you know, chill your beer down, get into the 70s and then pitch it and then put it someplace to cool off. The problem is once that yeast gets going, once that fermentation is moving, you ain't getting the beer down below to fermentation temperature. And I think the reason people always used to talk about that was because of point number two, yeast health. They wanted to get the yeast activity and the replication done as quickly as possible so that it would squeeze out any bacteria. These days, we don't have to worry about that. Get the right amount of yeast in there and then start cold. Ab absolutely, yes. Uh, the idea for many, many years, at least from when the time I started brewing 20 years ago, is that you want to get your yeast off to a really, really fast start to fight off anything else that might be trying to infect your beer. You know, and uh, there's nothing wrong with a fast start, but there's nothing wrong with a not so fast start too. If your, uh, if your cleanliness is good and take it easy, control the temp, start a little bit low. And then uh, after the first few days, start bringing it up. Uh, and I think that's the best results that you're ever going to get. Yep. That's that, that has worked for me. I've tried a lot of different methods and that's the one that I've finally settled on. All right. Last one. Finally, water chemistry. Now, you know, when I started brewing, people pretty much said, you know, if your water is fit to drink, it's good to brew with. And there's a, there's some validity to that, but definitely adjusting your water for a particular style of beer 
will help you make better beer. Now, for many years, I went about it the other way. I adjusted the beer I was brewing to my water. That's traditionally the way it was done back in the old days. You brewed what the water let you brew. That's why, uh, you know, stout evolved in Dublin for one reason. You know, on the other hand, taking a little bit of care with your water can make a big difference. At the very least, if you have chlorine in your water, you got to get rid of that. It's easy and quick and inexpensive to do. Beyond that, carefully evaluate your beers when you taste them. And if they're not as crisp as you'd like, or they have a bit of flabbiness or something to them, think about a little bit of water treatment to take care of that. Yeah. And, you know, I used to be one of those people who would be like, eh, water chemistry, whatever. My water's fine. And it turns out my water is still fine for a lot of things. But water chemistry can make a real, a real big difference. And a little bit of sulfate, a little bit of chloride, a little bit of carbon. And suddenly, the next thing you know, everything snaps right into place and it comes fully into focus. So let me, let me reiterate the four things that we think matter the most are cleanliness, yeast health, fermentation control, and water chemistry. You get those down, and then you can go your own way and do what fits your style of brewing, do what you think is fun, and you're still going to be making good beer. Make a decoction? Go for it. Want to do Lodo? Go for it. Want to, I don't know, you know, sing Hosanna's on high? Go for it. Just get those four things, and you'll be good. Right. That's a pretty good start on some of the things we've learned in 100 episodes. What did we miss? What else have you learned in 100 episodes of the Experimental Brewing Podcast? You can drop us a line at podcast at experimentalbrew.com. We'll put it into the feedback on the show because I'm really curious to see just, well, you know, what have we taught you or what have you learned from our guests? You know, that's always an interesting experience. Everybody picks up something different. So again, drop us a line at podcast at experimentalbrew.com. Thank you, everyone, for joining us on another episode of The Brew Files, a very special episode of The Brew Files, episode 100. Well, we hope that you enjoyed it. Uh, this exploration of what we've learned and i think we've learned a lot of stuff so what do you think denny anything else (laughs) anything else i think now the next thing to do is uh, get out there to the brewery and put some of the stuff i've learned to use yeah you owe me a beer in portland in a few short weeks yep you know what man and i think i think the american mild is finally shaping up let's see what we can learn in the next 100 episodes so i guess that means we will see you in almost two years Remember, if you have show ideas, styles, brewers, techniques, ingredients, etc., you can drop us a line at podcast at experimentalbrew.com. You can reach us at denny at experimentalbrew.com or drew at experimental.com. You can find us on Twitter at EXP Brewing, on Instagram, on Facebook, on Reddit, and just about every homebrewing forum out there. Now, don't forget that you can support the podcast by leaving us a review in Apple Podcasts, Click the Amazon AHA or BYO links on the website and by going to Patreon and pledging a buck or two or more to our charitable cause, which for this part of the year is... It is Habitat for Humanity, a great organization helping people build their own homes. Please throw us a couple bucks that we can throw to them. Well, until next time, remember to always brew wacky or brew experimentally. And the brew is out there. And we'll see you on the next episode of The Brew Files. <laughs>